it's February 18, 2017 with Dr. Sue Whitney. And um, we are, let's just go over your bio first. You're a Temple University for, P, you, you went to Temple University for your PT education and you got your PhD in motor development and motor learning from the University of Pittsburgh, correct? And your DPT was from MGH Institute of Health Science. You've worked in various settings as a therapist, and uh, currently you're a prof professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Health Science and Rehab. You're the program director for the Centers of Rehab Services, Balance and Vestibular Rehab Center. And you're a faculty researcher at the Medical Virtual Reality Center in Pittsburgh. You're a fellow of the APTA. Um, you're a member of the APTA Board of Directors, and you've authored and co-authored over 90 articles on Medline. Uh, and 10 articles published in the last year, and incredibly involved internationally. Did I miss anything? Mm -mm. Nope, got it all in there. Right. So after so. all of that, <laughs> what made you decide to become a PT? If you go way back, what was that initial desire? I was a volunteer at, well, I wasn't a volunteer. I went with my friend who was a military dependent to Valley Forge Army Base. Okay. So she used to have to go and buy um, stuff at the PX for her family. Mm -hmm. So we'd go in this little VW um, uh, car. And at the time, of course, seatbelts weren't, you know, you, it wasn't mandatory. So I'd be hanging out of the, the car uh -huh. and waving to people because we were just stupid teenagers. And we would go and play basketball. And when we played basketball there, we met all these persons who had had an amputation. Um, this was at the end, or kind of after the Vietnam War, and uh, I thought it was pretty cool. So what we did was we toured the facility, because you could do anything on an army base then, and uh, I met some of these guys and I thought, boy, this is really cool. I, I kind of like this. Maybe I should learn about PT. Hmm. So and that, that was it. That was it. Yeah. So you knew right out of high school that that's where oh, you went, and that was school. that yeah. was your track. Mm -hmm. You were on track for it, and everything else. That's yep. what a great way to kind of yeah. It's probably sixteen. It must have made a huge impression on you, obviously, mm -hmm. from that. So, how did you get introduced to vestibular rehab? Because that's a primary area um, of you know that was a fluke. So Joe Furman was was new guy in town, my MD PhD buddy, and. Uh, I call him my work husband because uh, we've worked together so long, and and I, 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 I mean I he, I don't love him like my husband, but I love yeah. him, you know, because we're such good friends. Uh, but Joe came to a faculty meeting, and it was actually pretty wild. So he came and he said, "Now I." Faye Horak and Ann Shumway Cook are doing something out on the West Coast, and and um, I uh, when I send my patients to PT all the time, they hand them a cane and they send them home, and like there's got to be more than that. So Karen Maloney, who was uh, is an uh, an OCS now and was do, teaching all the ortho stuff, she and I both kind of said we're interested, so we put up our little hands, and uh, about three months later, Karen was a dropout. <laughs> And, uh, and I stayed in. Because you wanted to be the best, <laughs> well, I, is my guess? Well, no, no. I, I didn't know anything about <laughs> okay. this. I was, I was so clueless, it's beyond belief, because there, was, there were probably under 10 papers in the world mm. written at that point. So what, what time period was that? 
you think? Well, I was pregnant with EJ, so it's 1985. Five. Okay. Yeah, and there were probably 10 papers, if that, the Cooksey Cawthorn papers, the ones from Belgium, and just a little bit of information was coming out of um, Anne and, and Faye. And because uh, that was pre Anne and Faye, one of their, their key papers. So I said, I'll. I'll try this and I used to roll people around I did I never do that that crazy that, well I call it crazy I should yeah. say that but the the um you know that the test that Neil um Neil Shepard came up with the uh, what is it called something where you roll them and you say how dizzy are you the motion sensitivity that. question yeah yeah that was the only thing out there and that actually was based on the group in, in Belgium and uh, so I, I wasn't using Niels, I was using the one from Belgium, and I thought, uh, it didn't take me long to figure out that that was not going to work for me. So I, I started doing some other things, but uh, yeah, I, there was nothing there. Um, it's hard to believe now with all the, the, the data that's out there, but there was nothing. So what was your first patient like? Oh, Do you recall one of those first people that... They walked into your clinic from Dr. Furman that no, you didn't I, put a cane in their hand and tell them to go out the door? No, I, I, I well, I started, as viewer adaptation, nobody was doing really at that point. I, I did a lot of habituation stuff, and I didn't think it worked real well. So I made a lot of people sick, that I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't make people sick now very often. So I think I was so poorly skilled. I was doing what, what they said in the papers, but it really wasn't working very well. So it was it it was kind of frustrating because I, I didn't know what to do. So how did you make that jump to where you were getting changes in people? When did you see that that start to happen? Well, it's a lot of trial and error because you know I was so stupid when I started. Um, I would tell Don Cameron, who's chief of otology, I'd say, Don, I don't really care what the diagnosis is. Just send them down to me. I only treat symptoms, so it doesn't matter. Now, if anybody said that to, to me, I'd probably bash them in the head because there's so much data that says that diagnosis and comorbidities really do affect outcomes, but at the time I didn't know any better. So I had no rules. So I pretty much did similar things to everybody and obviously it didn't work on a lot of people. So it was pretty frustrating. Mm. Do you recall your first BPPV patient, your first repositioning? You know, that that was actually after I had gone to Hopkins. The Hopkins had this big course, I think in the, it was maybe in the early 1990s. And I went there, and at that time, a lot of people didn't even believe in repositioning. And... Um, yeah, so it was it was it was early '90s because until probably 1995, I don't. There were a lot of people who didn't believe that BPPV even existed. You know, Shotnick had done this work, and you know there are the hypotheses even by Baronet years ago. But but um, it was really when Lauren Parnes showed that the otoconi actually existed when he did his canal plugging procedure, that I think people really believed that this was real. Mm. Okay. You know, poor John Epley. I don't know how he survived all that mess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got raised over the coals. I know he did, and God, God, you know, he just did the right thing, mm-hmm. and he stood by and didn't let those people intimidate him. Right, right. Would you say that clinically there's something that you 
you know, more from a clinical perspective that you're really, you know, look back and say that I really felt like I made a difference here clinically to the way we practice? Well, two things. The the migraine papers, I think, that Mm. Diane and I put together, um, really showing that vestibular rehab helps people with migraines. Mm -hmm. I think that was important. Uh, Barra's work that he did with Pat and I that was, I think it's really the, well, it was the first paper that showed that the sport concussion and people with concussion mm. really do get better with vestibular rehab, I think was key. But the, the thing that I'm hoping will be the biggest contribution is what we're, I'm working on right now, which is um, what we're trying to develop is what is comparable to the fear avoidance beliefs questionnaire for back pain. And what we want, the goal is to be able to say, these people are going to get better on their own. They may or may not need PT uh, by the paper and pencil test. These people need PT, and these people over here need PT and maybe psychology or psychiatry mm-hmm. or drugs or whatever. So we've we've put together, um, Jeff, Jeff Staub has helped us. Um, you know, we've had an international group to, that contributed to the Delphi project. And we've got data now to on 100 patients to see it. We, we collected the data, and then three months later we asked them, I don't care what they did. Mm. doesn't matter. Three months later, are you any better? And so what we're going to try and do is figure out if the people that got better, do they have this kind of profile? The people who are kind of in the middle have this kind of profile. And the people over here that you could pretty clearly say, say on day one that these people weren't going to get better. But it asks things like, are you afraid to exercise? Are you afraid that exercise is going to make you more dizzy? Are you, um, you know, the, oh, woe is me, you know, the catastrophizer. Mm-hmm. So it incorporates anxiety, catastrophization, um, you know, this fear of exercise, the fear of avoidance that I think is really key with our persons with dizziness. And I am hoping that that questionnaire will help all of us um, guide care so people get the right care at the right time and that it also decreases cost. Mm. So we treat the people that really need us, not treat everybody. So if that works, which I think it will, um, that I think will really have an impact on care worldwide. Yeah. Sort of put that stamp, that Sue Whitney stamp on this well, is how I change practice. It's, there, and it's there's a, a lot of intellectual property yeah, here. Yeah. Not this, right. This, it's not just you. I'm, it's a group I'm, effort. But, yeah, very group but effort. But definitely something that you brought to the table and participated in. and yeah. that's ex- That'll be exciting. What advice would you give to the new therapist just starting out? Read something. Learn something new every day. Because that's what I do. Yeah. I have, And it doesn't matter what it is. But I, 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 love, I love to read, and I love to learn. So the presentation this morning was just phenomenal because mm-hmm. I knew some of those things, but I sure didn't know what they knew. And then I thought, oh, I got a lot to learn, so now I'm going to go home and I'm going to learn more. Mm-hmm. And I already, re- I already bookmarked the, the website, and I already ordered the book I'm supposed to read that they told us. <laughs> a lifelong learner. That will never yeah. stop. No. That will never stop. No. But you've been a therapist and been in the medical field long enough. What would you say, what advice would you give to the therapist that's 15, 20 years 
in that middle age, so mm -hmm. to speak, place. What, what advice would you give them? Get really good at something. Mm. Make your mark. You know, I, I know that, I mean, I'm a generalist too. I can treat, I can treat any neurologic disorder that walked in. I could treat some orthopedic and shoulder problems, you know, those kinds of things. I can still do that. But, but it's when you really get good at something and dive deep that, that I think that you get recognized for being good at something. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that it's really important to be a good generalist. I, I, that's good too. But, but I guess I believe that, that there's real power in having a deep dive in terms of, of having specialized knowledge and and uh, th yeah, because that's I started that right out of PT school. I I knew I wanted to do spinal cord injury, and I read everything I could about spinal cord injury, so that I could be really good at that. You know, so even if you're in acute care practice, like somebody like Britta, Britta's so freaking talented, and she can treat anything in acute care. But she's the go-to person for vestibular, and and it's really nice for a person to know that other people respect your knowledge and skills and come to you for advice. And, and that's hard if you're just a total generalist. Mm. You know? So that's what I think, you yeah. do a deep dive. This concludes the abbreviated version of the Sue Whitney interview. Download the full interview to hear more about her international work along with her work on virtual reality. Thank you for listening.